You're listening to the Order 66 Podcast, brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and the generous donations of Jared Williams, Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, Sean Kumar, Darren Hampton, Andy Bethel, B. Witzel, and Balaam's Blasters. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and for those tuning in for the first time, welcome to the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing, the Order 66 podcast. And uh, we are back tonight with uh, a full show and and um, uh, three full hosts who are, are full of, well, we're, we're full of a lot of things, but... Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, after we're, we're, we're coming off of Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm still full. I don't know, guys, how was your, how was your holidays? It was wonderfully good. boring. Dave was boring. I was good. There you go. <laughs> so it's been um, almost three weeks since we've had our last show, and we had a big hiatus since then, man. But things have been kind of crazy around the, around the place. I've been traveling like yeah. mad for work. Um, I'm, tra- I'm I'm flying out again Saturday. Um. Mm. And, uh, uh, dude, I mean, so Phil, I mean, how are you? I mean, we were talking earlier, man, but how, how the hell are you feeling? Throaty, 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 Phil. (laughs) I'm, I'm, yeah, throaty Phil. I'm feeling a lot better. Um, there's a little more bass to my voice, a little more gravelly, as you can tell. Um, I'm back about, about 90% of what I should be when it comes to my throat and mouth. Um, and I'm actually really glad we haven't done a show in three weeks because the past three weeks have been absolute hell. Um, I finished the last of my treatments on November 6th, and they warned me that the next two weeks would be the worst weeks of this whole experience. And I didn't believe them. Um, I should have. I really should have, because the two weeks immediately following just absolutely sucked. I couldn't talk. My mouth was full of mucus and gross. It was just a mess, and I hated every minute of it. But I got through that now. I'm I'm well on the road to recovery, and now I'm just. it's just a matter of being able to eat enough food to have enough energy to get through the day and, and rebuilding my strength. So it's coming along well. It's coming along well. Oh, man, I'm glad to hear it. You sound you sound better. You sound amazing. Um, yep, thank you. Thank you. Dude. So I'm glad you're feeling better, but I don't think anyone's feeling better than Dave right now. <laughs> is this something? Why, why, why do you say that? Is this something you're able to talk about? I don't know. You had a pretty exciting night. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's uh the um we we close the deal tomorrow, but yeah, it's it's done in principle. So yeah, yeah, Dave Dave um I have to be careful the way I say this according to the lawyer. Dave now owns a company that owns a game store. <laughs> Woohoo. Woo-hoo. Me, me never to represent myself as the owner. <laughs> <laughs> So hey, are, are you? Um, so the the store is in where is it? It's in the colony, which is uh, close to. It's in Denton County, about 
12 minutes away from my house. Uh, it is uh, right off of 121. For those of you that know Dallas, it's on Page Road and uh, South Colony Boulevard, right next to um, Top Golf and the Toyota place, the big Toyota headquarters so that how, they just built. How far, down the road. how far is it from the Dallas Games Marathon for any of our Gamer Nation Con attendees who might want to check out the store? Uh, I would probably be about a 20 minute ride. Um, it's not too bad. Because it's not, it's not super close, but it's, I mean, it's close enough. Maybe, yeah, 15, 20 minute ride probably. Dude. It's doable. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be, uh, we'll be doing some things at Gamer Nation Con I would expect. Well, you're, you're going to let me come in and like, you know, throw my weight around like, you know, do you know who I know? You know, you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? My <laughs> dude, dude, my child's godfather. He, he, he owns the company that owns this store. <laughs> dude, man, we're, you know what we're going to have? We're going to have Star Wars Saturdays. Nice. Destiny X-Wing. Jason Hover is going to come up and run, um, um, uh, oh, dang it. Armada. Oh, yeah. Uh, organized play Armada. And, uh. And then we're gonna have Battlefront going on the uh, on the Xboxes in the back, so it'll be fun times, dude. That's fantastic. Uh, what's the name of the store? Game Night. Game Night. There you go. Yep. So it, the, the the full name is Game Night Games and Esports because we're we're gonna try something new that I haven't seen. We're gonna combine a traditional tabletop game store with a section of computers and consoles for esports. So we're gonna have Rocket League one night, Hearthstone one night, Heroes of the Storm one night, League of Legends one night. You know, Artemis. Wow, Artemis on demand. <laughs> yeah, because we're gonna have six stations. So, dude, that's awesome. Absolutely love it. Yeah, Good. yeah, dude, it's gonna be cool. We're uh. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be really fun. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Oh, well, guys, we have quite the show tonight, Gamer Nation. We, we're eager to get into it. Do you guys want to get into some announcements? Sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. Announcements, announcements. What do we got, boys? All right, so feature podcast this week, guys. We um, have to congratulate one of our favorite live play podcasts, Dice for Brains. They've concluded recently their sixth season. They ended with a finale show that uh, saw light and dark clash with the dust. Perhaps not still settled. The uh, The podcast really is amazingly produced. Uh, the, the cast of characters give you Star Wars live play fix. And, and if you're not listening, you need to, you know? So it, scratch that itch. Episode 73, Echoes in Rock Dust. The season six finale just dropped. So go check it out, and of course, find this and many, many, many more great podcasts at www.d20radio.com. There's a guy that I'm going to add. I, th- I hope I'm going to add him. I met him at the game store, um, what's about to be my game store. He does D&D in space. Oh. No, whoa, sorry, what? 
He does D&D in song. And it's hilarious. Okay. Like they have a band and anyway, anyway, we're going to I'm going to see what we can do with them. Okay. It's it's hilarious. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm intrigued, you know, it's got to be, you know, intriguing because, you know, I'm of course I'm a master of intrigue. (laughs) 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 Oh, speaking of intriguing, gentlemen, episode eight looms. We are little little more than two weeks out. Two weeks and fifteen a day. days. If we are fifteen days it out, it is hard to believe. But the next time you find listeners here an episode of the Order sixty six podcast, we're going to be chatting about the Last Jedi. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Dude, so, okay, so so we last show we talked about the final teaser, uh, the final trailer that dropped in post, mm-hmm. but there have been like tons of TV spots that have dropped and shown new material. I mean, have you guys been avoiding these? Have you been consuming them? Have you watched them? I mean, what are your what are your thoughts? I this watch cl- them in a, with, an, with a, the intent of not trying to remember them, just to take it in and yeah, you know. Yeah, we get some, we get some new little visuals and new little things here and there, but ultimately it's it's not any new real story elements than what we've kind of seen before you know just some new angles of things like oh that's cool oh that's neat oh that's awesome oh that looks great you know yeah i'm 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 absolutely absolutely thrilled so Mm -hmm. um but yeah guys um just just to announce it now i mean obviously we're gonna uh our next episode um i mean assuming nothing crazy happens and i'm i'm gonna be here i hope you guys will be here but um uh, the Sunday after um, the Sunday of opening weekend, we we should have our next episode to talk about, like we do. Like we do, in what it seems to be an annual tradition at this point, um, having a, a episode entirely devoted to talking about the film and and what it means for your role playing games. Uh, so, um, yeah, we just that's going to be a pretty heavy. We won't be able to talk about it with Sam this time, though. That's right. We yeah, he's got a conflict. And that that blows. But working actor, well, what, what, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Shall we move on to something a little more a uh, little more upbeat then? Oh, oh yes, yes, ah uh, yes, and that would be that the 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 heir to the game system that we love to talk about and that we have this podcast devoted to Genesis. It looms, and some of you damn people already have their hands on the core rulebook. We are looking at you, Darren West. We are looking at you. But. <laughs> D20 Radio is also about to welcome a new show, The Dice Pool, helmed by our own, our very own, GM Hooli. Uh, we've heard a few uh, teasers for it. We, we've got uh, had a chance to listen to the pilot episode, and you folks are in for a serious treat. I cannot wait for The Dice Pool to be released to you. I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy of the book, and I cannot wait to see how... All of you out there uh, take the Fallout theme that is all ready to share on d20radio.com. My, my, my work in progress that I've been working on ever since I got to beta the, uh, the, the Genesis game. Um, my Fallout theme that I, well, my Fallout hack that I wrote for Edge of the Empire, uh, those of you who have been able to see it, those of you who have been able to review it, it's this little, concise little. Uh, hack that allows you to run Fallout game. You know, has some has some ideas about race, has some ideas about uh, critters and radiation and some stuff like that. But the the Fallout theme that will be released on d20radio.com tomorrow will is a 20 page concise uh, document written in the same style as the 
various themes in the Genesis Core rulebook. So you, you'll get uh, various tropes for mm-hmm. running a Fallout game, uh, three new species, although one of them is actually from the book itself, the, the Core rulebook, I mean, uh, a list of Fallout weapons and equipment, rules on radiation, rules on power armor, and 17 uh, adversaries that you can find out there in the wastelands. And uh, over the next few months, you will also see on d20radio.com little updates, free downloadable content, as it were, uh, with more things, more critters, more gear, more more fun stuff, and maybe even some new talents along the way. Mm. So, look uh, for you know, that Phil, tomorrow. I mean, we're, we're not saying that you could potentially go to d20radio.com slash Genesis right now, but, you know, you, you might know, be on the lookout for it. I mean, since some people already have it, uh, yeah, true. It, I mean, yeah. it's out there. Folks have it in hand. The public, it, it is in the public's hands. I know. And 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 when you do happen, I mean, if you do, I don't know if you might you might see you might see several folders out there like titled uh, Harry Potter and Tron and City of Heroes and uh, oh yeah, Fallout. Might you might you might see that up there. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe perhaps maybe. maybe. Right. <laughs> I just want to see where they put your name in the book. <laughs> <laughs> i think we all get our name in the book but who knows i don't know That'd be nice. i don't know phil's the only one who deserves it so yeah. <laughs> why thank you um dude that's that's uh, wonderful wonderful and and guys listeners you can download this epic content maybe right now as you're listening uh but officially tomorrow uh, <laughs> um you know, at d20radio.com, uh, which honestly is where you should be hanging out anyway, seeing as it's the best gaming blog on the internet and the only blog to proudly also host Poe Dameron's personal adult fanfic. Mm. Not really, but we can hope. <laughs> um, but we do proudly host the very best articles, advice, and custom content created by the finest minds and most entertaining writers such as GM Phil, in the gaming world. Some highlights this week uh, in honor of the season of giving and thankfulness we've had, and we will have uh, even more, uh, a good amount of gift guide articles up. And I I saw a really good one. Um, Ben Erickson always does good reviews. They're very pithy. I get a lot out of them. Um, But he did um, an in-depth review of the the newest uh, D&D supplement, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Um, Is it a supplement worth buying? What's in it? How can you use it? Is it, does it make a great gift? Well, you guys can read the article and find out. Um, and also this week for some fresh Star Wars content, the brilliant Scott Alden returns to his Path Less Traveled series, which focuses on underutilized specializations with a deep dive into the archaeologist spec and how you can make the most of it at your table. Great article. Go check it out. And you guys can find all of this and more daily at d20radio.com. Yep. So, one other thing, Gamer Nation Con 5. Well, oh. actually, one of a few more things. We got a lot of announcements today. Mm. Gamer Nation Con 5. We've been gone for three weeks, and then we were gone a month before that. I mean, <laughs> seriously. It's almost like we pod faded. Never. Almost. Never. Life happens. Life happens. Yeah, I know. Life happens. Anyway, we'll, we'll get to some of that life happens in just a second. Gamer Nation Con 5. Dudes. Guys. Truly, we are humbled. We are thankful it's wonderful so gamer nation con 5 of course is a go we funded within i believe we funded within 16 minutes this year or something <laughs> ridiculous That's crazy not quite you, not quite but we, we not quite we funded with uh, within the first two hours okay so i was 
fine. I was using hyperbole, as I often do. You? Never. <laughs> April 5th to the 8th, 2018, Plano, Texas. Um, ironically, we only had one podcast episode to pimp it out, but it didn't really seem to matter. We funded at 240% of goal. It ended the day before Thanksgiving giving. If you missed it or if you need extra badges, there is a link on the Kickstarter to go to our tabletop events site to buy more. However, we hit every single stretch goal and we almost sold out of badges. So if you're going to buy a badge, you probably need to do it now because we sold 106 as a part of the Kickstarter and our max is 128. So there's not that many badges left. And that one. Anyway, we thank you guys. For your support. It's been absolutely amazing. And that 128, that includes our staff and marshals. So, guys, there, there's only like a dozen badges left. Okay. Um, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> because we have this thing called fire code. Yeah. <laughs> um, pesky little fire code. Uh, pesky, pesky, pesky little fire yeah. code. Um, but no, in all sincerity, I, I got to echo Dave's sentiments. I'm, I'm humbled. I'm amazed. I... Like all these great stretch goals that we hit, DM Tim's going to do that barbecue uh, with the Wednesday night before the con. We're going to have a big feed for everybody um, of some real Texas barbecue from. Would you Would you call Tim a pit master? I mean, yeah, probably. I, he's, I w- he's a. I would. He's a pit. Yeah. He he yeah. he is a pit master, like legitimate. I mean, competition level. He he's it's pretty freaking amazing. Um, Damn. So we we I mean, if you haven't had his his barbecue, it's it's absolutely a mind mind blowing. Um, the next stretch goal we hit, of course, is Chris West is going to uh, – he actually – we had a long conversation. He's actually shifting the order in which he's doing things. He is designing a totally not copyright to Harry Potter-themed map. <laughs> um, uh, that So he, he is designing a map that centers around the Gamer Nation Con 5 theme of magic <laughs> – all right. Um, and 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 it will it will have it will have, I don't know, maybe a, 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 a castle like, you know, school as a part of it, you know, maybe where young magicians can go to to, to get into hairy adventures and and wear robes mm. and 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 and, you know, yeah, battle dark lords. I'm, I'm just saying um, mm. maybe we'll see. We'll see what he comes up with. Um, but he's actually yep. gonna be, he's actually going to be taking that to Kickstarter. Um, very shortly, and we all know it's going to fund. Uh, but uh, from that from that map, uh, every attendee will be receiving a free copy of it. Thank you, Mr. West. Mr. West will also be attending the con, which is wonderful. And Ooh. then the the last stretch goal that kind of blew me away um, is uh, a wand. Um, we engaged uh, a fledgling company that is um, uh, comprised of some master woodworker and leather workers, and they specialize in gaming accessories and cosplay accessories. Um, and they will be manufacturing for us. Well, no manufacturing; they're all handmade. But they will be making for every attendee a 12-inch poplar wand that is embellished and will be stained and lacquered, um, and quite beautiful. And you know what? Rumor has it they were able to secure y- unicorn hair and Phoenix, Phoenix feathers, Phoenix feathers, among yes. other things. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I'm 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 pretty pretty absolutely thrilled by that. It's it's been something else. Um, the other big con announcement we wanted to talk about, and we we did pimp this out on social media a bit, but um, we did uh, which we we really can't pimp this out on the Kickstarter because of Kickstarter rules, guys. 
Um, but you know, last year, if you recall, for Gamer Nation Con, uh, we engaged a charity. And, and we've started this really as something we want to continue as a tradition where the Thursday night of the convention, um, we want all the proceeds that are earned that night. In other words, uh, a port, if, you, if you bought a four-day de- four badge, um, you know, a quarter of your ticket price, um, or if you're, if you're coming in at the door for a single day, your full ticket price, um, people who do walk-ups, anything like that, all the monies that are earned Thursday night will be donated to a charity. Um, you know, last year we had the Spiel Foundation. That was fantastic. We raised a goodly amount of money for them. But considering everything that's happened um, in the land of Gamer Nation with all of us recently, um, we are proud to officially announce our Thursday night charity partner uh, for Gamer Nation Con 5, One Up on Cancer. Uh, This is a community-based charity. It's run by gamers, and they exist for one very important purpose, to provide direct financial assistance to adults in the United States that are undergoing cancer treatment. Um, You know, Phil, you have battled cancer and kicked its ass. Um, Doing what I can. Um, my, my mother-in-law, um, Twi'lek goodness's mom, uh, sadly we, we found out is, is, has lost her fight. Um, and that's, uh, that's impacting us right now. Um, we, we have received many messages and emails from listeners um, and members of the Gamer Nation in the past few months uh, sharing their support and stories of how cancer has affected them. Um, one listener and, and devoted Gamer Nation regular um, who actually came to uh, GN Con last year, um, he recently informed us uh, about how Phil's story um, and fight saved his life. He, he was inspired by Phil's story and symptoms to get himself checked. Um, realizing he he might have some of those symptoms, and indeed, uh, he was diagnosed with malignant cancer, very similar to Phil's. He'd just had a tumor removed, as a matter of fact, started his radiation and chemo. And and sir, I know you're listening, and uh, uh, God be with you. Um, you're gonna kick its ass, man. You're gonna, you're gonna kick, kick you're gonna, its you're ass. You're gonna kick its ass too. Um, most of us have been affected by the epidemic of cancer in some way. Um, and while research is ongoing, the expense and stress, financial and otherwise, of, of treatment is is often too much to bear for a lot of people. And that's where One Up on Cancer comes in. And we are going to help. Um, again, not only will the entirety of the convention proceeds for Thursday night go to One Up on Cancer, who, by the way, Dave, they will be there at the con, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I, I made contact with them this week, and they are uh, they're in Texas, so they're gonna they're gonna come up for at least Thursday. And I offered to ha- host them for the whole weekend. Oh. See that that's absolutely brilliant. So we're happy to have them there. But Dave, you you um we haven't announced this officially yet because uh, we've just kind of decided on it. But you've managed to make you're you're going to do a pretty generous donation out there as well to have another opportunity that Thursday night of of the uh, con. Yeah. So we've got uh, we're going to have a, a silent auction and we're going to have some some items and uh, and now that uh, you know we're gonna I, I, I would expect that game night games and eSports is gonna make some uh, some sizable donations to this and everything that we auction off that night is going to go to one up as well um, and this includes for you gamer nation faithful if you remember what when did when did the beta come out five years ago now six six no five. I think. Five I don't remember. Five maybe five and a half. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if you guys saw it. We had it at the first Gamer Nation Con, and it was revered. We uh, have a copy of the beta that was written, scribbled, all, the, and then, and then permanently affixed with a giant Order sixty six podcast and a signature of Jay Little with a big giant Utini on the side. 
Anyway, it's one of a kind, and that that will be our our like signature prize for the uh, for that auction. So, nice. so this is going to be a cashy money auction, most likely. Uh, and it's, uh, if I'm just because of logistics, it's probably going to be a silent auction. I'm assuming, right, Dave? Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be. Yeah, we're not going to we're going to save our real auction, you know, for Sunday, which is our gamer auction. But yeah, this will be. We're going to display, you know, these ten or so items, and then uh, and then take bids and and. Um, and then once once the bids are complete, you can you know either come up and, and pay us via credit card or, or write a check straight to one up, whatever you'd like to do. So another opportunity, and we're looking forward to it. So a lot more coming for Gamer Nation Con. Um, also uh, be on the lookout. We've got uh, quite a few sponsors this year, more than we've had. Um, I'm really eager to. Um, I, I know he's going to run some games. Uh, Hunter Fox, who's been a longtime uh, Gamer Nation member um, and and po- loyal podcast listener. Um, actually published his own game, kickstarted it uh, a couple years ago, um, called Past Personas uh, and Prophecies. Um, and, and P3 is a, a romp of a game. It is a narrative system, but what I like most about it is that you can play it with any dice you want. You can play it with coins, actually. Um, it doesn't matter. You just take a dice with an even number of sides because it, it works on an odd-even principle. You roll and, and you have successes and failures based on whether on that. Um, so it's a really intriguing system and I know he'll be on hand. Chris West will be on hand. The staggering dragon boys will be on hand and, uh, uh, DM Tim and and, and his wife, uh, their company, um, will also be on hand. I cannot wait to buy some of their awesomely embroidered geekery. Um, uh, we also have another sponsor as well that we'll be announcing shortly. So it's good stuff, Mm -hmm. man. But a lot of, a lot of announcements coming for that. So keep your eyes glued and and my god phil where can they glue their eyes well they can stay in the know by following d20 radio on the facebooks for news and podcast info on a daily basis you can also follow the gms on twitter at d20 radio we post and tweet show info and announcements regularly regularly um very very Mm -hmm. cool very cool oh all right boys um we so gamer nation uh, this is going to be kind of a unique episode. We have 16 pages of show notes. Um, because of his efforts uh, with uh, launching that very first episode and, and getting it perfect uh, for the dice pool, uh, we don't have a tidbits tonight from Huli. Um, and to be frank, we don't even have the time for messages from the edge. We are going to devote the entirety of the rest of this episode to the meat of tonight's show because it is epic. Do you guys just want to dive right into it? I think we should. Pool open. Board under my feet. That's right. All right, do we have a tentative title for tonight's meet? Um, the Revenge of the Starship Combat. <laughs> maybe the Return of the Starship Combat. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Return of the Starship Combat. Revenge. The last, the last Starship Combat. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, th- this this topic we're going to be talking about tonight. We we teased last episode. It's been highly anticipated um, ever since we announced it at the end of our at the end of the, our last episode. Um, and and like like all our best topics, uh, it came to us by listener requests. So you know what? I'm just gonna let you hear what GM Lance 
has to say. Hey, this is GM Lance, and uh, I'm calling for uh, a question for D20 uh, Radio Order 66 podcast. Um, so like I said, this is GM Lance, and I have a question about how – I want to get your guys' advice on how best to handle uh, space combat um, with a set of players that are looking for something more, like, fast and furious. Uh, I've – I've run with a group of players, and actually one of those players is actually running his own game now, and we're both struggling a little bit with how to effectively get space combat in where uh, it's enjoyable. Um, many of the players are ex-board gamers, and so we're thinking, oh, they're going to love you know the more tactical nature, the more options and stuff. And every time we've tried to run it, it's just fallen flat. It doesn't have that epic fly by the seat of your pants, fast Star Wars type feel, and everybody gets bogged down by the rules and the pilot only and all that. And I enjoy the rules. And as a player, I can't, I can't wait to dig into a scene like that, but I am just not successfully running it as a GM. So is there a way that you guys or some tips you could suggest to make it so that when you run you know, when you're running with, you know, newer players or players that haven't done space combat before that are looking for less tactical detail and more, you know, epic, quick, you know, blasting feel, have that danger, still have everybody be able to contribute, but still somehow make it within the rules we have. Um, anyway, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, like I said, I've not run it what I would consider extremely well in the past, and I'd like to get some good way to do it, or even an entry level. Uh, I'd love to hear what you guys say. And uh, I don't know that I'll ever hear the answer because I never listened to the Order 66 podcast. Thanks. Well, that is an excellent question and quandary, Lance. Now, while while not all players and GMs feel this way about Starship Combat, um, it is safe to say that Lance is not alone. Um, this, this, is, this is a... A common sentiment. I mean, as much as this system is lauded as amazing, the one thing I think you guys will, will agree, especially if you get on message boards, <laughs> that is, is constantly cited by players and GMs for having a strong potential for improvement is the Starship combat mechanics. Um, and most of those concerns have the root cause that Lance expressed. Um, while some gamers do absolutely love the rules as written and how it runs, for others, Starship Combat has a habit of devolving into a tedious exercise in tactical minutia, which, which kind of seems a bit at odds with the spirit of this narrative system. Is there a way to make Starship Combat simpler, more engaging, more exciting, more narrative? And can that be done within the rules? Well, tonight, we're going to fire up our engines yet again to fly the friendly skies of Starship and Vehicle Combat. We're going to give you our best tips and advice for making Starship Combat as engaging as you can within the rules as written and without, providing some popular house rules and adjustments that we can also recommend. So grab that throttle and prepare to punch it, Gamer Nation, because we are locked and loaded, flying five by five, and say it with me, guys, we're feeling the need... The, the need, need for speed! speed as we focus on running Starship Combat narratively tonight on your Order 66 podcast. Because I was inverted. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, before we start, 
uh, perhaps more than any other topic. All right, we we really need to remind you that we've talked about Starship and Starship combat before a lot, a, a lot. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to get into the rules and mechanics details tonight. If you want to know how to punch it, go listen to episode 25. Great Sam, don't get cocky. Um, Sam Stewart himself imparts wisdom on the core mechanics of Starship Combat during that episode. So if you guys need a brush up, pause this, go back to episode 25 and take a listen. Then you will find everything that is on your mind. Uh, Jim Hooley's last few gaming tidbits. Uh, sections over the last four episodes have also been devoted to it. Capital Ship Combat. Yeah, we talked about it in depth back in uh, episode 48, Capital Interest. Mass Combat. Yep, deep dive into that. Episode 33, Hyperlane to the Danger Zone. Huh, I'm, I'm sensing a theme here. Mm. Uh, that was actually, again, with Sam Stewart. Uh, building and Designing Ships. Yeah, we did that one too. The ship guru himself, Jason Marker, joined us for that episode. That was episode 44. Give me a ship and a Honda Civic to sail by. And then uh, running chases correctly in an exciting way. Uh, yeah, guess what? Episode 99, gone in 60 parsecs. So the point is we've discussed the rules as written mechanics nearly to death. So we're not going to rehash any of that. If you have questions or need clarifications, give those episodes a re-listen and they will answer everything that you need. So we're going to dive right into these uh, you know, into things on, on the assumption that uh, you're already re- ready to and really confident about how the rules work. Rules is written, right? And starship mechanics especially. Okay? Okay. We're serious. We're serious. We're serious. Okay? Okay. 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 We're not going to waste time. We're going to talk to you like you know everything. Right on. Yeah. So players and GMs who feel hinky about Starship combat or get that uneasy feeling with it because they're experiencing problems that they don't often realize are problems, or if they can't put their finger on what it is. Uh, now, these are not problems for everyone. Kind of goes along the whole lines of it's a bug. If it's, if it's not a bug, it's a feature. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. So if some of these things that we talk about aren't issues for you, don't get offended. But if you are feeling uneasy about Starship combat, it's probably for one or more of these reasons we need to talk about these reasons so that we can fix them and address them (laughs) so let's start with drawn out encounters uh specifically player actions or inactions Mm -hmm. people argue that this is one but it is the number one thing that bugs people and is the crux of lance's concerns starship combat often feels like a slog like an exercise in the minutiae or just simply boring for certain players Ironically, it is terribly fast and frantic with if you're a pilot or a gunner, and if you ignore all the supplemental actions you might be able to do. But if you focus on that giant list of supplemental actions, which make things more dogfight and Star Wars realistic, which is why they're there, players have a habit of suffering from analysis paralysis or simply picking something that isn't sexy. Planning a course isn't sexy, nor is scanning the enemy, nor is co-piloting or jamming or boosting the shields. But they're important. Some players are okay with not having the sexy action. They see the tactical value in fire discipline or spoofing missiles. Others really just want to shoot something. And if you're not a pilot or a gunner, and you are a new player who doesn't know or simply doesn't want to get bogged down with all these cool supplemental actions, then you're literally sitting on the ship with your thumb up your butt. And even if you do use an action, maybe for damage control, then that's it. 
one check, no maneuver, no anything else. Sure, you can maybe angle and deflect your shields, but that's worthless after a round or two. If you're not engaged in a dogfight and you choose which facing the ship takes the hit, otherwise it's, you know, it's a bit boring. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've seen that that happen in, in, in a lot of games I've run, especially early games I've run. Um, and to build on what you just said, I think another common unrealized problem that a lot of people have with starship combat in this system is is drawn out encounters that are the result of of really the plethora of rules that are out there. I mean, sadly, I I personally think that some of the rules, if actively used by a GM, can unintentionally prolong the fight or just make things not fun. Um, yeah. You know what players hate? What? Players hate being taken out of the game for an entire round, okay? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm looking at the difficult terrain movement rules as the number one offender there. <laughs> um, you know, but but there's these little rules in there like this. You, you try to make the game exciting by throwing them in an asteroid field. Um, but the piloting difficulty is so damn hard at speeds that let you actually do cool actions and maneuvers that you're going to fail it. And your ship is then dead in the water for a round. You can't attack because most weapons are close range. And the entire crew who is on this one ship has a an entire round just wasted as a result. Um, yeah. Th th that's a good example. Um, and whether you realize it or not, a lot of these rules that we'll come to that are there to provide a lot of realism can can have the unintentional side effect of really bogging down play. Um, <clears throat> another facet of this for me in terms of, of where the rules can sometimes work against themselves uh, for this, mm -hmm. this feeling of drawn out encounters is what's sometimes called the gain the advantage dilemma. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it is, it's insisted by some who've crunched the numbers on it, actually, that, that gain the advantage is a wasted action, that you're, you're better served spending two actions in two separate rounds to just attack twice rather than set up a dogfight and then attack. Um, yeah. it, it, that might be different if snub fighters weren't made out of paper, but they are. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. I mean, a, a hit with laser cannons with two to three successes will paste a TIE fighter. I mean, one yeah. hit, one hit, one kill. And and there are many times in games I've run where I've seen good pilot characters carefully set up gaining advantage only to have the hotshot new player uh, fly by on their turn and blow up the foe they were trying to dogfight in one hit. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that is not fun, okay? Um, and again, th that doesn't mean these rules are bad. It just means that when they're used in a certain way or unintentionally they can they can have some unintended consequences so just because of the sheer plethora of rules it can tend to draw out encounters that as well that's another common unrecognized problem yeah um another issue that i can think of that comes up is sitting in a metal death can there's no polite way to say this but you're in goddamn outer space folks there are millimeters of plating between you and the cold vacuum of death. <laughs> Your survivability is, in most cases, as dependent or more on the ship you are flying than your character's capabilities. And smaller ships are very dangerous to fly. One good hit with an average weapon and they are toast. And thus, so are you. <laughs> Furthermore... If you are on a larger ship, then the entire party lives or dies by a single wound threshold, strain threshold, and soak. In this case, it's a single hull trauma system strain and armor. If that ship goes down, the entire party is out of the fight. Unless they're in snub fighters. But the paradox is that by giving your players their own survivability, you reduce it. Because snub fighters are made of paper, as we've said. <laughs> Freighters and patrol craft are simply tougher. 
and can fly and can outfly and sorry and can fly out of a fight most snubs cannot yeah and and uh, what rocket tag right <laughs> exactly <laughs> i mean exactly that that's that's what it is i mean so th- this is another often unrecognized problem that that is present for a lot of players um the, the the next one and the last one I think is really worth talking about so that we can handle this uh, and, yeah. and and know what we're solving mm-hmm. is it, it's kind of a simple statement and I don't think it's a problem with with the rules or anything like that I think it's a problem of expectation okay and it boils down to this movie accurate does not always mean good gaming <laughs> mm. um. This is the one thing, especially with Star Wars, that I don't know that any gamer wants to admit to themselves. But you got to. Um, yeah. The The bottom line is, if you watch the movies, X-Wings and Ties are almost always taken out in a single hit when they are hit. Yeah. Okay? Only with a few exceptions. In films, mm. space combat is deadly which is where the rocket tag, you know, uh, you know, aponym comes from. This means that, hey, the rules actually are extremely realistic and they are valid for representing what we see in Star Wars. But unfortunately, that also means that if they're not GM'd well or properly planned for or encounter designed for, it does not equate to good gaming because player death is bad. Okay. Mm. So that's something to consider. It's a it's a it's a reality where you know as much as this system encompasses the feel of Star Wars, um, th- starship combat in Star Wars being fast and frenetic and oh my god by the seat of your pants that is very lethal and you need to kind of come to terms with that and be willing to maybe suspend your disbelief and change a few things and maybe make that a little less realistic to the movies if you really want to have successful starship combat. But we'll we'll, we'll talk about that. So. Yeah, I don't know. Like, dude. Okay, listen. I, I know. We, so we've given them all the shutters at this point mm-hmm. with, with these things, you know. And maybe with what we've just said very briefly, we've put a face on some of the unease that maybe you've been having about Starship Combat, um, as Lance expressed. Sure. But how the hell do we fix it? Mm. C- can you do it without altering the raw, or perhaps by altering it creatively, or simply introducing entirely new house rules? The answer to all three of these questions is yes. Mm. Yes. All right. So let's start with the first one. Let's let's try to make Starship Combat run better within the RAW. Okay. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. We know it. We've done it. Rather than focus on uh, platitudes, we're going to give you some high-level tips, but also some specific concrete tactics that we can use as a GM. Each of these tactics has worked wonderfully for us in our games over the years. Take them, which f- take them for what you will. But for each, we're also going to give you one or more pro tips for making the most of them through specific actions. Okay. First of which is being minion love. Minion love! The introduction of minions as adversaries is one of the most beloved, wonderful parts of this game. It lets you... Let, let, let your players get that Star Wars feel of mowing down a swath of stormtroopers with one attack and lets less powerful threats be powerful, at least for a round or two, by working in unison. So why the hell aren't you using the minion rules for enemy starships? Let your players feel like they're Poe Dameron and take out multiple enemy fighters all at once. I'm at the point now where 90% of my enemy starship encounters operate in minion groups. 
Yep. Using minions lets you throw nine TIE fighters at your party, making them piss their pants, but you're really only having three threats out there. This increases the perceived threat of the situation, which ratchets up the excitement and the tension. Hell, even if you throw only throw three or four enemy fighters at them and your minion group them so that you just have one threat on the board, this seriously moves the game along, and rounds will move faster, giving more screen time to the PCs and their actions. Amen. And furthermore, like as you, you know, when minion groups get whittled down, <clears throat> their their dice their dice pools get smaller. Okay. And and this is wonderful for starship combat threats because starship mm. combat can be so deadly. All right, it means early on that group is going to hit the PCs hard, but as the fight progresses right. and their minion group shrinks as they get picked off, their effectiveness and consequently their ability to deal damage shrinks accordingly, and that's really useful. Um, okay, on minion love, here's a pro tip, especially for newer players, you need to seriously consider never bringing rival-level starship threats into the fray. Consider it, okay? Mm -hmm. a, a good rule of thumb that I follow is to only utilize what I would call a named enemies, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, on, only utilize named enemy pilots, meaning rivals or nemesis, um, when you have one or more PCs in the party that are heavily focused on on piloting builds. And the reason yeah. being, those characters have talents that will increase their survivability. Um, in essence, they can solo those named threats whilst the others whittle down the minions. Um, so there you go. Good, good, good pro tip. Good, good pro tip for minion love. Okay, yeah. so within the raw, minion love. Great tactic. What else we got? Yes. Uh, next up, select your ships carefully. Mm. This isn't just for players deciding on what ships to get, though this advice works for them too. But as the GM, you're typically going to determine through session structure what kinds of ships your party has access to. And you have to get this right, or you're going to have a bad time. Does the adventure call for raiding a shipyard? Or fighting through a blockade to the surface of a planet? Are you protecting a convoy? What ships would you give them for this task? Snubfighters? Patrol craft? the freighter with one gun that they've been flying around all campaign <laughs> for space combat to be exciting for PCs, get them in the right ship or ships. This means powerful snub fighters. This means larger ships like freighters or patrol craft that have enough firepower to take on larger groups and wink, wink, give most of the PCs a hand on the guns. Imagine the millennium Falcon fleeing the death star after Ben Kenobi disabled the tractor beam and then went Houdini on Darth Vader. Wasn't that cool, exciting space counter? It was. But why? Because the ship was big enough to take a hit or five, and it had enough guns. Chewie and Leia are piloting and co-piloting, and it's up to the only other two PCs, miraculously, who miraculously have guns, uh, has, have a gun turret each. That was fun. Now imagine the attack on the first Death Star. Scores of rebel fighters flying into the lion's maw. Incredibly exciting. Was anyone bored? No. Did anyone have stuff to do? Yes. Could everyone kick ass? Yes, because everyone was in a snub fighter. Now, most of them were shot down in a single hit, but that's another issue that we'll get to. <laughs> Look, not every PC is either going to want or, or know that they can do actions like angle the deflector shields or spoof missiles or fire control. So... Yeah. <clears throat> know your players and get them on those right ships, either powerful snubs or larger ships with enough guns for everyone who's not flying to shoot. 
they may not shoot, but let them have the option. Pro tip, pro tip for selecting ships carefully. Two-man snub fighters are a phenomenal compromise craft. The best of both worlds. And they are never used enough. Never. And like, dude, in pre-gen modules, especially, Phil, how often do you see two-man snub fighters? Like never. 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 You never do. I don't understand why. They give the players that fast and furious feeling of fighter combat because they're in fighters, but without the restriction of being confined to a single person in a single ship. Two-man fighters are eminently more survivable. They're more they're tougher, okay, than single than single uh pilot snub fighters. And nobody gets bored because everyone on the ship has something to do if they just want to go pew, pew, pew. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, not only, again, are two-man fighters, uh, you know, like like your Y-Wings um, or something. There's actually several two-man fighters that are, have been homebrewed out there, and you can pill for them from d20radio.com. Um, but, you know, if you look at these ships, their, their, their thresholds and their armor are typically much better, and so are the weapons. They might be a little slower than an A-Wing, okay? But your players have more options in Starship Combat, and that's what matters. Mm-hmm. So, okay, minion love. Selecting your ships carefully. So far, Phil, everything we've discussed is totally within RAW. What, what, yeah, what, absolutely. What, what, else, what else can we do within RAW? Well, don't just give all PCs things to do, but let the situation affect how they can do it. Mm. Now, this sounds like simple advice, and we've preached it in some form or another over the years, but let's talk about what it means to in the context of starship combat. We've hinted at this in our previous tip, but to clarify, when you design an encounter, which includes designing the ship or ships the PCs will be utilizing, you've got to ensure that there's something for everyone to do almost every round. Now, pilots and gunners are easy. No real work is needed. Throw threats at them, and they're happy. They'll close, engage, and open fire. But what about the party beat stick with one green die in gunnery and piloting? Even if he has a turret, will he want to use it? (laughs) And even the um, obviously useful third wheels, like mechanics or slicers or face characters. You can't just say, oh, they could do damage control or missile spoofing or fire discipline. That's just one thing. And combat's a drag on and lose that fast and furious feeling when you're just doing the same thing every damn round. How do you combat that? Ah, first pro tip. We have quite a few pro tips for this one. Pro tip mm. pro tip one. Let the stress and maneuvering of combat or the scenario concretely affect what non-combative characters on the ship do. If they're doing fire discipline or manual repairs or virtually any non-pilot-only action that requires them erasing about the ship whilst making a check, then the mere juking and rocking of a starship in combat should impose a setback die or more on their checks. That right Mm -hmm. there is called environmental circumstance, son. And players love being able to use their sexy talents that don't seem that sexy when they take them that allow them to remove setback dice, making them look like a badass. So this is another excuse to give them setback dice. Um, Mm -hmm. This also gives them uh, more cause to use their maneuvers for something meaningful, especially for those players who have uh, taken, because they had to, because it was in the tree, but they've never found a reason to use the brace 
talent. <laughs> am I am right. I am I wrong about that? Not at all. Because <laughs> brace is specifically there for environmental circumstances, and that's all it can be used for. Well, guess what? This is it's an environmental freaking circumstance, you know. And you know, I mean, like I, I think of <clears throat> Phil. I think of Empire Strikes Back. I think the hyperdrive is disabled on the Falcon, and they're running from Tie Fighters. Um, yeah. and trying to get away. And, you know, li- literally, uh, Leia and Chewie are piloting and co-piloting in the front, and Han has to run back there because he's the mechanic, and he's gotta, he's gotta run back there, and he's down in the, in the hold, you know, and the ship's shaking, is having a hard time, and it gets so bad, you know, the, the tool chest actually falls on his head, you know? Um, yep. you know, that's yep. a great narrative example of a setback die being applied to his check. Um, so, yeah, pro tip, pro, pro tip one for, let the situation affect what your PCs can do. Yeah, pro tip number two. Don't introduce advanced actions to new players. Mm. Just don't. You know what kills a Fast and Furious action? Pouring over a table in a book to think about what you're going to do this round. New players shouldn't even know that jamming or missile spoofing or fire discipline or plot course are things. When the nasty goes down and they're stuck outside the cockpit and you can describe how the ship is falling apart, how the crew is stressed how the shields are failing, how the missile that missed is coming back for another hit, then simply ask them what they want their character to do. Let them say, can I repair our shields? Can I find a way to jam that missile? Guide them to a skill choice that makes sense and throw a difficulty at them. They don't need to know that it's actually a standard action that they could select from the book. What you've done is you've kept the player's excitement high because, in their minds, they've developed a creative solution to a hairy problem instead of picking a tactical option out of a table. Oh, that's really good advice. Really good advice. Um, Third pro tip, and the last one for this particular piece of advice. Um, You can't do this all the time. (laughs) But I like to do it, and you should try and do it when you can. I like doing this, too. Have a personal scale encounter during a starship combat. So hear, hear me out on this. It makes for a memorable first starship combat, too, if you got new players at the table. Yeah. Um, this really only works if the team is on a silhouette four or larger ship. But what you do is, in the middle of starship combat, have something happen on the ship, inside the ship, okay? A Minoc infestation, a spy or a stowaway who snuck on board, a prisoner or three that maybe they were transporting who happened to break out of the hold. Maybe the hold was, or the brig was damaged in the fight, okay? great use for despair if you ask me um you know imagine the this threat beginning to wreak havoc on the ship uh systems are failing leading to setback dice for pilots and gunners um you know members of the party will have to race back uh you know uh to actively uh deal with it while the pilot or gunner are still dealing with the 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 external starship threats um you, you can keep it all in initiative order too it works it works perfectly uh, perfectly normally that way. Um, so, uh, I don't know if, if you can pull it off. It's a, uh, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to do. And another excellent pro tip for really letting the environmental circumstances affect the actions these players are taking, um, that would be otherwise mundane or minutia in starship combat. I've, I've, I've used that. I, the, um, uh, um, uh... God, what was it? Hunt for the White Spring. My my one of my second modules that I ran at the second Gamer Nation Con I went to. I think it was Gamer Nation Con three. I had that a Sith Inquisitor, an, uh, a, uh, an Imperial Inquisitor, um, 
gets onto their ship as they're escaping. So they're having to go fly away from this planet and they're engaging space combat. And then all of a sudden there's an inquisitor in the ship that they have to deal with as well. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, that was fun. That was good. That was a good time. Yay team. All right. So, um, so at the risk of sounding like a broken record, um, use advantage and triumph creatively, you know? <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of a duh thing, but you know, uh, what we really mean is, is twofold. One, encourage your players to spend advantage and triumph for more than a crit. Mm. So in starship combat, this can really add a lot of excitement to things, right? Component damage can disable an enemy shield or weapon systems. A free maneuver which within your limit can change the landscape of survivability in starship combat. Uh, as a GM, spend your threat and despair for more than just system strain or setback dice. Cause component damage to PC ships that that need to suddenly be repaired. Uh, disable a key system of theirs. Force a fault in the computer that, that starts broadcasting a beacon or classified intelligence, which has to be shut down right now! <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, yeah, just, just think of some things that are that are not just your mundane strain. Crit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those are easy. Yeah. All right. Now, so now our pro tip for this. Yes. Go the extra mile to really ratchet up tension by enforcing the fluff text implied for repairing a disabled system. Make them cannibalize another system to accomplish the task. <laughs> oh, sorry. Power coupling is shot. Do you have a spare? No. You'll need to take it from something else. You want this system back up? Then what system are you willing to disable? Make that narrative choice a tension point. Keep it exciting. <laughs> you really want that hyperdrive? Well, well, guess what's guess what you're gonna lose? Shields. <laughs> Do you really like that air you're breathing? <laughs> How important is it really? <clears throat> no, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Okay, so yeah. so using advantage and triumph creatively. Uh, 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 let the situation affect how the PCs can make checks and do things in Starship Combat creatively. Select your ships carefully. Show some minion love. Next up, in terms of our our, our raw tips and our, our second to last one that we really want to impart to you, um, is kind of a, a hot button of mine based on my own foibles with Starship Combat over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Think about terrain in a very different way than you might be doing so right now. Um, This is almost into house rule territory, but it's not. It's raw, I promise. It's still within raw. What what I'm asking you to do, potentially, is to ignore a current rule, which you have the power to do per raw, and enforce a different related rule that is also raw. So we've talked before in all the prior episodes Dave mentioned about using terrain in starship combat. Asteroids, Mm -hmm. derelict ships, space junk, satellites. They're cool, and they can give a ship cover. Um, But difficult terrain, like being in an asteroid field, is something different, and there are rules for navigating it in the book. Pilots have to make sometimes pretty freaking insane checks to move through it. Now, for novice players, especially if they don't have the dice pool um, or they're in a ship with crappy handling, then failure is likely. And, you know, as I alluded to earlier, the unfortunate side effect of making players bored 
is what results from that. Because they can't do anything for a round. Because one player, the pilot, failed a check. Mm -hmm. Um, My point is, you could do well to ignore that rule for more exciting starship combat. And pro tip, uh, use difficult terrain, but ignore the normal rule. Instead, treat it as what it is. It is an environmental circumstance. Um, which is what we talked about earlier. That means it throws setback dice to all checks made. Gunnery, piloting, all of it. And of course, this makes setback die removing talents, again, all the more useful, which makes players happy and makes them feel good about their character choices and keeps them engaged. Mm-hmm. 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 So, yeah. Engagement leads to narrative magic. Oh, I, I love this. All right, our, so this is our this is our last raw tip. Yeah, um, don't forget you are in a narrative system, so it's easy to forget this and treat every single roll like it's a d twenty. You're playing D anD D. One roll, one hit. Oh no, I missed. Bop bop bop. No 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 no. Every designer we've had on this show has reiterated that a dice roll in this system when attacking should not be one hit. It represents a constant frenetic back and forth of attacks, dodges, parries, punches through the round. The result is dealing one damage result, but the narrative is a complex back and forth from a story standpoint, from a descriptive standpoint. In uh, Starship Combat, especially snub fighter dogfighting, right? The same rule applies. Uh, Listener Jimmy Anderson shared an awesome story with us on Facebook about this. Every single turn in the round, he describes the enemy TIE fighters taking shots and screaming after the PCs as they race to get away. Of course, he only rolls and deals any damage when it's the TIE's turn in initiative. But by describing and reinforcing the back and forth of combat and firing on every player's turn, it keeps the action heavy and and the players worried and engaged in a good way, right? Absolutely. Uh, For today's pro tip, let's bring in GM Phil. Today's pro tip. As a GM, don't get bogged down in the rules yourself. You want to keep the players excited and engaged in Starship Combat? Then you need to be excited and engaged in Starship Combat. They'll take their cues from you. If you pause to look up a rule, you've lost them. If you have your NPC threats, use advanced actions and reinforce the tactical minutiae, you've lost them. If you don't know the rule or the uh, option by heart without having to think about it, then take your own player advice and just come up with something cool. Make an appropriate check. Don't break the flow. Word. During the delve, I forgot um, I forgot the exact mechanic for punching when he was trying to escape. And <clears> so we just, I just, uh, what the hell? We're just going to go with it. And I made a rule and it turned out to be great and it was fun and it didn't ever break that chain. Yeah. Yeah. I hear a lot of GMs bitch about the fact that their their players don't keep things, you know, th- their players stop things down in combat by pausing to look up rules or think about things or tactically analyze the situation. And then I watch the GM do his thing, and he does the exact same damn thing. <laughs> yeah. And you cannot, you cannot have your players unconsciously take these cues from you. They do, and it go it goes both ways. So if you bog things down, whether you realize it or not, they are going to as well because that has become acceptable behavior at the table. If you keep things flowing, so will they. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we ta- so gentlemen, yeah. T- t- we- would, would would you like to talk about making starship combat run better using house rules? Sure. Well, we we've talked about the raw, 
So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go. Uh, let's say you've gone through um, everything that we've gone through. Is, it hasn't been enough. Um, you're willing to remove or change or <gasps> break the rules Heck. to try something different. Well, we've got you covered, don't we? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So we've got a short series of uh, potential house rules for Starship Combat that we know from personal experience will solve a lot of the problems that we've discussed. Use some. Use all of them. Use none. But we do have to say this. The problem in this kind of discussion is that there are a ton of house rules out there for for, uh, Starship Combat. I mean, a metric ass ton. Yes. Right? Every week. Some fan publishes their list of house rules for Starship Combat. Some are pretty cool. But most simply rewrite the entirety of the mechanics and still leave things as complex as they were before. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And and that means most house rules out there don't solve the problem we're trying to solve, which is to make Starship Combat faster and less complex. So the house rules we're going to discuss are either super easy to implement and remember or have such a strong value that we found them to be worth consideration. So, yeah, 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 there's tons out there. Sorry we didn't include yours, but another factor in in what we decided to discuss here was the fact that uh, we wanted to give you listeners tips on successful house rules that we have either played with ourselves or have seen used successfully so much that we're confident of their merit. Maybe your house rule works great, but if you haven't experienced that success, we don't feel comfortable recommending it yet. What we are recommending here are house rules that we've personally used, personally developed and tested, or play ourselves, um, or have discovered or seen multiple instances of of this uh, being implemented and benefiting a group. So with that, we will begin. Let's start with the one that I introduced, um, my snap roll rule. Um, Okay, okay, hang on, hang on. It's going to sound really dickish if you say that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because fair, I, fair. I, I because I wrote this paragraph in the show notes, so I'm going to say it because <laughs> I can legitimately say it. All right. All right. This house rule has been lauded around the Star Wars community perhaps more than any other thing out there. Phil, you did a damn good job. There is virtually, and I did a f- freaking crap ton of research for tonight's show, guys. I slogged through more forums than you can possibly imagine. I listened to more live play. I, I, I prep. I've been prepping for this show since before we had our last show by weeks. Okay, um, and 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 I will tell you, there is virtually no house rules for starship combat post that goes up these days without mentioning this rule. And it that saying, oh yeah, this is a badass rule and you should use it. And it was created and masterminded by our very own GM Phil. So you are, now I'll see why I said that because if Phil said the that, Godfather yeah, the Godfather of Genesis, the Godfather, the Godfather of Genesis, because if and <clears throat> this a modified version of this may or may uh, not have made an appearance in the talent section of Genesis. May we see? I'm just saying. Just, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's there. But you see, I, I wanted to say that because if Phil said it, it would have sounded really douchey because he's talking about himself. So, okay. Well, thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. I, I, I was kind of nervous about reading this. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, how do I say this without coming off like a jerk? Yeah, yeah. So, I'm I, there. I, I said it. So, Phil, tell us about Snap Roll because everyone should be using it in their games. All right. So, what this is, it's... A simple, quick action that's basically parry for starship pilots. 
The snap roll is a new option for players. It's an out-of-turn incidental, pilot only. Vehicle must be at a speed of two or more. Silhouette one through four vehicles only. When you're hit by a gunnery attack, the pilot can make a snap roll incidental to reduce the damage suffered by an amount equal to their ship's handling plus their ranks in pilot that applies to their ship. So if you're in a, a vehicle that uses piloting planetary, it's your piloting planetary ranks. If you're in a starship or a snub fighter, it's your starship space, it's your piloting space ranks. In exchange, the ship suffers three system strain that bypasses armor, and the pilot suffers three personal strain that bypasses soak. Um, I've also started playing this where it's just the ship that de- that deals that that gets a system strain. Um, so you can do that either way you want. Either either both the ship and the pilot takes three pers- takes three strain, or just the ship takes three strain. It, well, it works actually pretty well either way. Can I can I interrupt? Because I, I I like the fluff around this. Can you talk about why that penalty is in place? The penalty is in place because the idea is is that you are pulling a high G maneuver that is putting stress on your ship and your pilot. Uh, fighter pilots will constantly be talking about how they make these high G bank maneuvers to either break missile locks or to dodge missiles or to get out of a range of enemy fire. You know when a, a cannon is coming in, and they're pulling like you know eight, nine, ten Gs, which puts a strain on you. So that was the purpose for the piloting strain as well, uh, the pilot strain as well. Yeah. Um, but I know some people are like, oh, it's too, it's too much to have three strain to the pilot and three strain to the vehicle. So it does work without, but as a personal thing, I do like that the pilot takes the strain as well and the ship takes the strain. Um, it, it just gives your pilot a reason to worry about their own stress and their own um, capabilities because, hey, pilots have blacked out in combat. And this is why. So... For those of you saying, oh, Phil, there's no G's in space, I direct you to Newton's first law. Mm. Yeah. An object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted on by an outside force. So when you flip your ship around, guess what? Your body still wants to go forward. So you're going to hit something. No, yep. th- there are G's in space. Gravity, local gravity has nothing to do with it. That's just physics. Yeah. yeah. And even if it wasn't physics, yeah. in Star Wars, there's sound in space. So there's got to be G's in space. And there's explosions. Yeah. Fiery explosions fiery explosions without oxygen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what's great about this rule is that it correctly, uh, it concretely utilizes not only the handling of the ship, but also the skill of the pilot in order to assist in mitigating damage. Now, in our experience, using the snap roll in your games is one of the best ways to reduce the problem of rocket tag and increase the survivability of snub fighters. It also adds an exciting action for players that are rooted in the strong narrative and takes their abilities and the abilities of the ship into account. A-wings are supposed to be hard to hit. TIE interceptors are supposed to be hard to hit. Really exceptional pilots are exceptional pilots for a reason. They've survived long enough to do so. Those skills and maneuverability of the craft should be translated somehow into your survivability. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and from a personal note, I've been using snap roll in my games uh, since Phil introduced it, and I, I can attest it's it, it is it is good enough that it should be a core rule. It's a uh, it's it's a it really solves a lot of problems people have with starship combat. And the funny thing is, is that the ships that really benefit well from it, those with the handling of like th- handling of three, like A wings and tire interceptors and all them, because you're inflicting three system strain every time you do it. And because you don't have someone who can recover system strain for you unless you take the action to, to do so, you can't get too many of these in. Yeah. You get like 
two, maybe three. Yeah. Because you can't spend advantage to heal the system strain of a ship. Correct. Correct. Now, that makes astromechs imminently more viable. <laughs> uh-huh. Which aren't in TIE Interceptors or A-Wings, no. are they? No, they're not. Which is why no, X- they're not. That's why X-Wings rock. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So that's our first recommended house rule. It's a good one, guys. Um, the next one is another interesting one. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of this. I've been running with it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it has an official name. Um, it, it, I call it Emperor Norton's sensor changes. Um, <laughs> uh, th- this, this house rule isn't directly related to starship combat, but it kind of is. Um, but this is another really good house rule. I really recommend personally me, GM Chris, and it will enhance your starship encounters. I truly do believe in my experience. It has, um, I first saw it a while back on the FFG forums, uh, posted up by user Emperor Norton. Um, and, and again, after playing with it in my games for a while now, I, I'm convinced. The, the crux of the problem that this rule is trying to solve is that in raw, sensors are kind of wonky. Um, yeah. I mean, they, 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 they really are. Uh, per, per the rules as written, you can't even scan or see other vehicles that are t- usually past your movement. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, unless you have... Re- donkulously powerful sensors. I mean, they usually only go out to like close or if you're really, really lucky, short range. Okay. And with, I mean, that means with a good enough speed, I can move past my sensor range and around and that ain't right. Um, so, I mean, and the, the thing is so much of the tension and thrills in starship combat, good starship combat that has that fast and frenetic feel. It's about the anticipation. Okay. You know, my God, look at the size of that thing. You know, cut the chatter red too. Thank you. <laughs> All right. It's about seeing what is coming your way or, or at least having a vague idea that gets clearer and clearer the closer you get. It, it, it's tense. It's it's tension. It's fun. And and truthfully, the sensor rules are so restrictive and, and confusing. The truth, guys, and I think you would agree with me on this, is that most people run without them today anyway. Um, whether they realize it or not. Um, before before I implemented uh, an Emperor Norton sensor changes, I ran sensors at, at the range of plot, okay? Because um, yeah. it just made more sense. So anyway, Emperor Norton sensor changes, they boil, uh, th- this house rule boils down to two key points. Uh, point one, uh, the, the, the active, this is another, another weird little sensors rule called the active sensors rule. It, it just flat out removed it because frankly, no one uses it anyway. Um, according to the active sensors rule in raw, you can only attack a target that is within your sensor range. Okay. That, that means, that means per the raw, if you have sensors limited to close and you have missiles that go out to short, you can't hit a target at short because you can't scan them. Mm. Um, you know, so honestly, that's, that's really crappy. Um, additionally, there's like this active scanning that you can do to like, basically th- there is a way around that, but you have to actively scan the target. Okay. To go like one step beyond your range. Um, and, and it just, just, just get rid of it. It's, 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 it's not a good rule. Just get rid of it. That's point one. Point two, the range by which your sensors can glean information about potential targets is altered. And I love this. It basically reworks the way sensors, sensor ranges work um, without fundamentally changing the stats. And I, I really like that. And so basically, 
Um, if you are within sensor range of a vehicle or or sensor range plus one range band, um, you get the you you can find out the number of vehicles you're facing and all the details about them. Oh, they're they're Z95 headhunters, and oh my god, they look like they're heavily modified. And these are the weapon systems you can you can scan for that. If you are at sensor range plus two range bands, all you can get is the number of vehicles and their silhouettes. Okay, they're just that far away. You can't do any real active scans, but but you can at least say, oh my god, they're snub fighters. Okay, or these are the silhouettes. Or, oh, we have we have freighters incoming. Sensor mm. range plus three range bands is the existence of something. So when you get three range bands past your sensor range, that's in Starship combat. That's that's quite a distance. Okay, you you can still say, oh my god, there's something. The, the existence of something. We're reading a power signature. Okay. And then when you get four range bands or more past your sensor range, you can't scan anything. And that's, that's like half the system basically. So I mean, or, you know, or, I mean, that's, um, that, that's, that's, that's quite, quite a ways. And I, I really like this. Um, I mean, I, I understand most people are still going to run sensors at the, at the range of plot anyway, but if you are a stickler for, yeah. for using sensor mechanics and you want to use them properly to really ratchet that tension up in there, um, this is a great option. The bottom line, really good, fast, furious, tense starship combat should not even be bogged down by sensors anyway. But these changes, instead of just removing rules that don't provide real tension, actually add some tension into the game because you can play that game of, okay, well, you, you, there's something there, but you're going to have to get closer to find out what it is. Okay, you're a range band closer now. You know, still not in danger, but oh my gosh, there's 17 snub fighters out there. You know, well, oh, yeah. what are they? You don't know. Okay, but you got to get closer, you know. Okay, you're plus one range band. Oh my God, they're ties. Okay, I mean that's you can <laughs> you you can you can get to that, and as the GM, that that ability to gradually describe the enemy threats ahead as the ship moves closer to them in a risky fashion is really cool. And at least in my games, that has served me well and served my players well. So, another house rule I can recommend. There you go. So um, I'm gonna go with uh, shield points. This oh. is a um, a house rule that's been presented in various forms by various people and been refined um, over the last couple of years into kind of a best case form that we're going to share with you right now. Uh, this is another house rule designed to increase survivability of ships by adding a secondary mechanic around shields. And notice that we're there's a pattern here. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so here's the crux of it. A vehicle or ship gains a new stat of shield points, five per shield rating. When a ship takes damage, that damage, after armor reduces it, is applied to shield points first. Only when shield points are gone does the damage then start applying to the ship's hull trauma threshold. And, of course, if shields go down due to component hits, so do shield points. If uh, shields are reduced due to talent usage or other ability, then the ship's shield points are equivalently reduced. Additionally, the damage control action can be used to recover one shield point with the same commensurate difficulties on the check. Hey, Dave. Um, Dave. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, this is my mistake because I forgot to include this in the show notes. There's one additional point to those rules. Oh. Um, my bad. Um, it, it goes both ways. Not only does your shield rating provide the points, but when those points get whittled down, it reduces your shield rating. 
at, at, at five. I was wondering about that. Yeah, at, at five points. So the idea is if, if your shields get hit hard enough, like even without a component hit, if your shields just continually take damage, they're going to go down. That's also what this represents. So with, like if you have a shield rating of two, you got 10 shield points. When five get knocked off, you now have a shield rating of one. So it will reduce your overall defensive capability as well. Nice. And when you're when you're okay. at, when you're at zero, you you have your, your shields are down. I mean that's that's it. And okay, that, and, I, I yeah. kind of took that from the second bullet, but I, I guess yeah. I was just assuming. Yeah, but just just to oh. be to be absolutely clear on that, so it's like yeah, it it's it's you know it will increase your survivability for a short time, but at the cost of 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 also losing your defense as time goes on. I got gotcha. you. All right, and um, I will also call you out on from the uh, Department of Redundancy Department. Same and commensurate are pretty much the same thing. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, for groups who uh, want to make ships more hardy, by the way, without uh, adding any new player-focused rules, this is shown to work pretty well. Um, it usually gives a shielded ship an extra hit or two before they go down. It also has the benefit of adding another action option for non-pilots and non-gunners. Yeah, this is one of those house rules that um, I know I haven't run it. I don't know if you guys have, but no. reportedly... Uh, it has a lot of success using the format that we uh, uh, just outlined, so we, we deem it to be good. Uh, however, several play testers of this have reported that if you add this and the aforementioned snap roll to your game, things tend to get imbalanced. Uh, you know, it's just too much combined damage reduction. Mm, so use one or the other. Okay. Or use them sparingly. Maybe you use a snap roll with shield with uh, shield points of three per shield rating. I don't know. Mm. It, it can get a little crazy. Yeah. 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 Who knows? Your uh, mileage may vary. Exactly. Uh, another thing that we can play, try play with, uh, vehicle maneuverability affects attacks. Now, this house rule is one that you, Chris, have playtested, and yep. it's been around for a pretty good while. Yep. The problem it's trying to solve is that some players don't find excitement in the fact that the maneuverability of their ships doesn't impact how hard they are hit. The way attack rolls work by raw... The difficulty is primarily based on the ship's size differential. What if you get a ship that was speed and or handling to factor in? What do you? What if you want ship speed or handling to factor into that? Do you want a more maneuverable ship to have an attacking advantage on a slower target? Then this is the house rule for you. Initial attempts at this house rule rewrote the way base difficulty was calculated, moving it away from size differentials. But our play testing has shown that this doesn't work too well, as it neuters the gunner's die pool way too much. Instead, if you like this house rule, we suggest using one of the two options. Yes. Chris, what's the first one? Well, I've play tested both of these, and and it's 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 kind of interesting. And I I, I do I I, I want to return to what you just said though, because I, I I do stress this. People have talked about this particular house rule before, and I can tell you from my own experience, don't don't f with the core difficulty determined by size differential. It's been mathematically tested. It it, it really gets weird when you start changing that. Instead use one of these two options. And option one is have speed differentials add boost and setback dice to attacks. So the idea here simply is that faster targets should be harder to hit and slower targets should be easier to hit. Don't change how the base difficulty is calculated by size differential of the, of the two ships as it is today. But add in current speed differential to force boost or setback dice to any attack rolls equal to the relative speed of the two ships. So 
If you're at speed two and the ship you're attacking is at speed four, you're going to gain two setback dice to attack them because you just can't hit them as easily because they are moving much faster than you are. Um, if you're at mm-hmm. speed, if you're at speed five and the ship you're attacking is at speed three, then you are going to gain two boost dice to attack them as they are a much slower target. They're easier to hit. Um, additional benefits of of the speed differential um, option is that it puts some teeth into actions like uh, increase speed or punch it. I mean, right now, mm-hmm. right now, those things really only have one concrete end result in, in the narrative, which is I can. I can move multiple, I can, I can, I, I don't have to spend multiple maneuvers to move a range band. Or if I'm really fast, maybe I can even get two range bands in, manu- in a maneuver, right? Um, yeah. But, but that's it. Um, when, and, and, and honestly, for, because a lot of fighters, especially, have a top speed of four, it's only when you get above four that multiple range bands even matter. And I think, I think, Phil, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but at speed three or speed four, it, you can still move one range band per per maneuver, right? It's oh, yeah. it's it's it it, it th- that bump happens at three. So in that case, there is typically no realistic reason if you have a limit of four to even get to a speed of four. I mean, I know it affects a couple other minor things, but there's no reason why why waste the effort to do so. You're gonna stick right. you're gonna stick to speed three, and you're gonna be happy. It's not gonna affect how fast you can move in game terms. Ah, with this and putting speed differentials in place to actually you know, add in booster setback die, there is another reason to get your speed as high as it can go. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a thought, but that, that is option one, uh, for, uh, having vehicle maneuverability affecting attacks. Um, Dave, what is option two? Option number two, uh, handling differentials and booster setback. So the idea here is that more maneuverable targets, not necessarily faster targets, are harder to hit. Again, don't change base difficulty and don't change how it's calculated. Just add in current maneuverability differential to force boost or setback dice to any attack rolls equal to the relative handling of the two ships. So if you have a handling of zero and your target has a handling of plus one, you will suffer one setback die to attack him. He's just quicker than you are. If you've got a handling of plus two and the target has a handling of minus one, then you're going to get three boost dice to attack him because you're shooting fish in a barrel at that point. So the problem with this method is that it makes handling a bit of a super stat for ships, but if that doesn't bother your group, then it's really not a big deal. Yeah. So if you like this rule... It is imperative, that playtesting has shown us this, that you pick option one, speed, or option two, handling. Don't use both. At that point, this breaks. It breaks hard. Additionally, there are some who strongly recommend this rule only apply when snub fighters are attacking snub fighters, silhouette three or less. This is mainly because the handling or speed difference between fighters and capital ships is overwhelmingly advantageous to fighters who shouldn't be able to easily damage a capital ship. And four boost dice can change that equation way too much. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes sense. I mean, it doesn't matter. How, you're still this little fighter attacking a really big ship. It's a lot of territory. It's a lot of space for your ship to try to cover. Yeah, it really is. I, you know, and, and this, this idea of, um, 
of vehicle maneuverability affecting attacks. Um, it's a cool rule, but frankly, if you if you really want to represent um, vehicle maneuverability in defense and attack specifically in terms of that, mm-hmm. just use snap roll. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it do, it does that job without this level of complexity. But there's a lot of people that like this this rule, and so many that I I play tested it and it it works um, as long as you follow Phil's advice that he just laid out. Um, okay, so we now come to the last house rule that we are going to discuss. It it is one that a lot of people talk about, <laughs> and there's been a lot of discussion about it. Mm-hmm. Give gain the advantage some teeth. Yes. Um, what do we mean? Uh, listen, a lot of people use this house rule, actually. A lot of people do. A lot. And the reason they actually use it is because they assumed it was raw and they were interpreting gain the advantage incorrectly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Including myself. Yeah. Um, I did I did too at first as well. Um so the gain the advantage action, among its other benefits. Um, lets you choose which defensive zone of a vehicle that you are attacking. Um, Some folks interpreted that text to say that when you have gained the advantage, you can also dictate the defender's firing arc. Now, that is not how it's supposed to work, not raw. Back in episode 25, uh, great Sam, don't get cocky, Sam Stewart himself boldly clarified that this was not the case. Uh, Raw gained the advantage does not let you pick the attacking arc of your opponent. The house rule here is simply letting gain the advantage do that. <laughs> um, dictate the firing arc of your foe while you have advantage on him um, as a result of this action. Um, this this replicates basically the famous scene of, you know, I can't shake him! Uh, <laughs> where, where, where a foe has gained the advantage on you and he's on your ass. And you you can't even fire on him because he is he has he has advantage he, he has you now <laughs> he, and he has advantage on you so <laughs> I mean not only is he he basically has control of your flight pattern because he's in your wake um, mm-hmm. you know and you know and and obviously you know all the more reason to have uh, guns with multiple firing arcs but you know for a snub fighter with a forward facing arc that can th- this this can be really intense um, we have play tested this quite a bit. Um, uh, and so have many others, often quite unintentionally. Yes, Phil? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because we thought it was raw. Um, so, you know, try it. Uh, it. It might work for your group. Um, but after five years of messing with it, um, in my opinion, it is mildly overpowered. It makes gain the advantage, which already provides two pretty good benefits, too powerful. Um, allowing a piloting check, a single piloting check, to easily make you immune to an individual opponent's attacks. Um, Because you get advantage on them, ah, they can't hit me until they break it. That's really powerful. Um, So with that in mind, we do have a better suggestion for you regarding this house rule that playtesting has at least shown me it is much more balanced. Yes, this would be to allow the pilot to spend two advantage on the gain the advantage action to dictate the foe's firing arc. Easy, simple, it uses the existing tools that we have. It's a perfect use for advantage on a roll. When you succeed on a gain the advantage roll, you get the normal benefits. But if you 
spin to advantage from that role to also dictate the the defender's firing art and and you can do that while you've gained the advantage on them right so yep you succeed on the check you get the normal benefit you spend to advantage and then you can dictate the defender's firing arc yep so this works better in play because it still lets pilot mcpilot badassery mcbadass be a stick jockey but enforces difficult choices and and doesn't make this cool benefit a guarantee additionally players will will more readily use gain the advantage in the hopes of triggering this benefit and being able to destroy Bodie McBoatface that was it makes the, a lot of sense too because yeah. i i noticed that with gain the advantage it's it's sometimes difficult to say okay great i rolled all this extra advantage what do i want to use it on yeah and 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 what what kills so, so there's that but when i started playtesting with this this enhanced version of that rule I found I found that one players were more satisfied because they had something to spend their advantage on when they had it. But two, <clears throat> they started. It was really weird. Like, okay, when 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 I first would run it, where you didn't have to spend advantage. If you just if you just did the gain the advantage um, action, then you could dictate their firing arc. Yeah, players did it, and they and they and they and they did it fairly frequently. When I started saying, okay, do the action, and you can pop to advantage to dictate their firing arc. I sh- I, I kid you not. The amount of times they tried to gain the advantage doubled. Really, it was really weird because and, and the yeah. ol- the only thing I can chalk it up to was that there was this excitement of oh man, if I can roll to advantage, I can do this right. Um, sure, it, it was re- it was a kind of a weird outcome uh, result for that, and I saw that quite a bit um, in multiple games. So uh, maybe it's the way people think, um, but it was a kind of an unexpected advantage. And, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> mm. uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was an unexpected benefit of, of doing that enhanced house rule for, for that. So, you know, I'm, I'm all for, you know, again, I just personally, I'm all for giving, gaining advantage more teeth, but, but yeah, man, let it, let it cost them a, a few, a, a two, at least two advantage to, to, to put those teeth in there and really give it that bite. So, um, Gosh, so guys, we've we've talked about house rules to this point, and I, I think I, I would like to, and maybe we can all kind of give our thoughts on on house rules versus sticking with the raw at this point. We've we've gone through, we we've we have blasted through um, in the last hour and a half um, some some pretty intensive options, um, mm-hmm. both both raw and house rules. Um, and, and both can work for you. Um, a lot of players don't like house rules. Um, they, they, they like to stick within the raw and I hope we've made it clear that you can and, and still, you know, Lance back to your original question, make, um, make Starship combat a lot more engaging, a lot more fly by the seat of your pants. Um, but, but the same token, there are some really good house rules, uh, that we've, I think we've presented here that can also kind of add that same feeling to your game and let you get more by the seat of your pants without risking the fun of your players, um, by risking their survivability. Um, so, I mean, I don't know guys, any, any final thoughts on really pumping up the narrative action, both raw and house ruling, um, for starship combat? Um, really take the time and 
And if you're really into the raw and into the minutia of the raw, really take a time to listen to that first half hour of what we were talking about. Um, there's some great things in there, stuff that I even forgot myself, like the whole uh, the whole utilizing minions as as enemy fighter groups. Uh, I'm running a oh well, I was running until my whole treatment cycle started uh, a a game where everyone's in spiders and remembering that there are minion groups that I can throw them up against so I can have them up against a significant number of enemies but not have it really be that many to physically deal with as far as a mechanical standpoint is a huge factor. It's something that I might personally need to take advantage of myself. Um, same thing with the whole uh, uh, two-man stump fighter concept. Look into that. See what you can do there. Um, take a look at those. But also, you know, because sometimes some of these house rules that aren't introduced here are kind of fun. They're, they're really, they really can really enhance and, and fill in some of those holes that, that, are, that were there to possibly kept you from really enjoying space combat. I really dig the sensor changes thing. That's something that I'm going to look into and, and utilize and makes make sensors a, a big deal now. Yeah. Um, so give a listen. Find things that call out to you. Note them down and remember to utilize the next time you got a space combat. Because it's Star Wars. You're supposed to be combat in space. <laughs> Star Wars. Yes. We actually had a question come up in chat um, uh, 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 from Austin Catan. Um, he was curious about gain the advantage. He says, you know, uh, what about that gain the advantage rule when you have a ship with a turret that you're attacking or, you know, an arc 170 with, with that rear, uh, you know, uh, facing arc on it. Um, that's where those vehicles have the, have an advantage. That's why those vehicles you can exist. Say, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to attack from the back. Okay. That means that only this turret can hit you or that means that the turrets, only the turrets can attack you. Yeah, so that, that's that, what that means. That's, that's what, where yeah. that's where trying to gain the advantage on some of those ships. The pro is isn't necessarily a guarantee. Yeah, uh, nope. absolutely. Um, and you know, the, so the house rule remains the same. You know, if you if you pop two advantage to dictate the defender's firing arc, and it's a snub fighter, he's only got two firing arcs. Uh, <laughs> um, you, you mm -hmm. mean, I mean, you, you still dictate which one it is. It just means that he can't hit you with maybe both weapons if he has them. And if he's got a if 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 the ship happens to have a a uh, all arc turret, I mean, yeah, you can't do nothing to stop that gun. <laughs> nope. But remember that the effect of the gain the advantage is still in effect. Uh -huh. It's still your they're still upgrading their attacks against you. Yes. Upgrading the difficulty of their attacks against you. I mean. Yes. And that's a bonus in and of itself. Well, that's why it that's is. why it's so powerful, and that's why that's why I found a problem with giving that extra benefit automatically. Um, yeah, there you go. And, and, and spend the two advantage. I mean, that's, 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 that's the reason why. So. I kind of dig the two advantage thing. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but using the minion rules or, or squadron rules, we talked about mass combat, obviously in previous episodes for, for starships, um, also helps as well. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's good stuff. Thank you, Lance, uh, for this question. Um, I honestly, I mean, I, God, we, we've been podcasting for just under two hours at this point, and we had some pretty staunch announcements. I, I truly expected us to take longer going through 16 pages of show notes. Um, but, but no, this is a, this is a good, good, good size. I think we've talked about quite a bit. We're good that way. We're good that way. We, we are, we are good that we way. We still got it. We, we, you know, 
We still That's got right. It. Two shows in three months. We still <laughs> got it. We still got it. Oh, but now that life is getting back under control again, uh, we're, we're getting back to our more regular, our, our, we're getting back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, and, you know, as we draw this episode to a close, um, again, Lance, thank you for your question. Guys, we want to know what questions you guys have for us for future episodes. Um, become a member of the Gamer Nation. Visit us at uh, d20radio.com. Uh, on the right-hand side, you'll find, you'll find a button that takes you to our forums. Um, you can register, post your mind, head to the Order 66 podcast uh, uh, boards, and, and you'll find a dedicated thread for show topics. Post it up if you have something you want us to discuss. Email us. Uh, GM Chris, GM Phil, uh, or GM Dave at d20radio.com. Uh, not only questions that you'd like answered on the show or suggested show topics, also give us some liners. You can email them to us um, or call the D20 Radio hotline where you can not only leave liners, but questions like Lance did. We'd love to get those. Um, yep. You know, 262 D20 Radio, 262 so our next episode, um, and I, I don't see any reason why the date is going to shift on this at all, guys, um, is going to be the 17th of December. Um, that's a little over two weeks away. Um, and it will, it will be that opening weekend uh, of episode eight, The Last Jedi. Um, obviously, uh, we are we are still trying to wrangle some good guests, um, but... Uh, we will keep you fully informed on that. Uh, but, you know, worst case scenario, we might even bring some listeners on to talk about it. But the the crux of that show, we're obviously going to jawbone about the movie and whether we loved it or hated it. Um, and also what it reveals about the Star Wars universe that is new and exciting and how those things and themes can impact your games. Very similar to what we did for Rogue One. Um, so yeah. uh, really looking forward to that episode. and. It's going to be a good one. I'm going on the record right now to say that I will walk out initially disappointed. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm going to walk out cautiously. I'm going to walk in cautiously optimistic. That's I'll go. I'll, go. I'll go. I'll go on the record saying that. I'll go on the record saying that. No, I'm. I'm super excited. So, it's a good time to be a Star Wars fan and gamer nation. It's a good. <laughs> It's a it's it's a good time uh, to get your game on. So thank you for listening. Uh, this is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. Keep the dice rolling, and may the dice be with you, and also with you, Seth, and also with you. <laughs> oh no, thank you. No, thank no, you. No, no, you. No. <laughs> You've been listening to the Order 66 podcast brought to you by Ethan Kinsey, GM Scott, Jeremy Bensley, Bert Ingley, Joshua Taylor, and William File. This podcast and related websites are not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games, 20th Century Fox, Walt Disney Corporation, or Lucasfilm Limited, and its content was meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. All original content is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and Gamer Nation LFC. Mm-hmm.